0: Therapy is meant to help us, to give us an outlet to voice our problems or our concerns. Therapists are there to listen and provide guidance. But what happens when your emotions literally take on a life of their own? What happens when these emotions, created by your therapist with an agenda of his own, go out and kill on your behalf everyone who has ever wronged you? Such is the case with the 1979 horror cult classic The Brood. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. This is the Filmgasm podcast where we talk about movies of all sorts. But boy, do we love horror movies. And The Brood is a dark one. (laughs) It's a movie about the psychotic side of motherhood and how dangerous it is to love too much. Only Cronenberg could come up with such dark shit about such a beautiful bond. (laughs) Yes, indeed.
1: Uh, The Brood is one of the scariest movies we've covered on Filmgasm so far. It's uh, got some of the most frightening images I've seen, and it was uh, a first-time watch for both of us, which is a lot of fun. Shout out to Criterion Channel for uh, having a cool collection of horror movies that uh, we are now open to. uh, Yes, indeed because of the brood like you said Cronenberg for me for me I have just seen you know I've seen the more recent stuff but as far as his horror his like iconic horror collection I've only seen this now and uh the fly so I have a lot of homework to do still
0: yeah Cronenberg is not the kind of director you just kind of put on when you're you know got some time on a Saturday you got to ease yourself into Cronenberg he he's uh he's unique (laughs) yeah
1: a a mature filmmaker I'll say
0: (laughs) yeah definitely Uh, Before we get into that, I've got two updates for you on The Rewind, one for Episode 8, The Silence of the Lambs, and one for Episode 40, the Harry Potter franchise. First up, CBS has ordered a Silence of the Lambs spinoff to series. It's called Clarice, and it takes place six months after the events of Lambs, with Special Agent Clarice Starling navigating the political world of Washington, D.C., as she hunts down sex criminals and serial killers in a male-dominated field. Rebecca Breeds of Pretty Little Liars will play Agent Starling. And uh, frankly, I don't think it's going to do well. It's unnecessary, and I'm going to call it now. I don't think it makes it past, let's say, season two. Next. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Who? Is...
1: Who's playing her?
0: Some, I don't know, some teeny, teeny bopper from Pretty Little Liars. I don't know who she is. At
1: and I didn't bother
0: this. to find out. <laughs> I don't care. I uh... Give Hannibal a fourth season. Don't do this shit. Just do just finish off. Yeah, we have an established, well-liked Hannibal Lecter reboot already that didn't get a proper send off Do a fourth season. Bring Agent Starling into that if you want to. But we don't need a full a full show that is essentially just criminal minds. I mean, if, if there's no Lecter, what's the fucking point?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, there's too much to say negatively about that. <laughs> that is, that is, that is silly. Well, and, and just who's behind it? CBS? Come on, that's yeah. not going to be good. This is not going to be good. If, if you know, hypothetically in a world, you know, like you said, yeah, if we could have a I, Hannibal's a great show. Uh, like you, good cast, good casting already. Just take, you know, keep going with that. But at least get um get someone who is going to fall in the footsteps of the great character of Clarice. Come on. Like, I don't know. That sounds, that sounds so stupid to me.
0: Yeah. This is going to be a monumental disaster. And CBS is betting heavily on this show. I mean, it hasn't even like gone into production yet and they've already ordered it as a series. I mean, this is, they are banking Mm -hmm. on this thing. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not either. (laughs) I'm already,
1: I'm already, TV is already hard for me to like commit to. And if I, Already don't like the idea before I even see anything. Yeah, no thanks.
0: I don't really like cop procedurals, and if you're gonna set it in the in the Hannibal Lecter universe, I'm still not gonna watch it. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't like procedurals. I think they're all really lazy and easy to easy to write. And the key thing you said there for like horror fans, we have enough content
1: that has to do with Hannibal and that world. Like, we're okay. We, we've got great stuff.
0: <laughs> we've got three solid movies and a pretty bitchin' TV show already. Yeah. So, I'm not itching for more. Yeah. I'm good. Not not to mention the
1: fact that Anthony Hopkins already did it, and it's not gonna be topped, so you can try, you can do things that are different, but
0: what's... And it's a know, show what's... that like, it fills the gap between Lambs and Hannibal, but... Wh- there's no story there. It's just Clarice doing operations. Like Lecter yeah, yeah. didn't show up again on the FBI's radar for ten years. Are we really gonna get like? Is anybody really thinking like? Wow, I wonder what Agent Starling was doing in that ten years. No, nobody was. Nobody cared. Yeah, unless Jodie Foster is fucking doing it, you know? <laughs> like, I would. The- I would absolutely watch a sequel.
1: Uh, like, y- yes, yeah, yeah, I would if Jodie Foster's like hand was in it, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm coming back to show you what Sterling is doing." I, yeah, I would give it a give it a go, but this has no this. I don't know what this even means to me as a Sounds of Lambs fan.
0: Well, th- like consider this: what if they like a series starring like Jodie Foster coming back to play Clarice after Hannibal, after she's been like seriously psychologically scarred by the events of Hannibal, but a- to the point where she starts kind of like, falling down a very dark path as a disgraced FBI agent and possibly starts, you know, following in Lecter's footsteps almost.
1: There you go. That's way, way more appealing to like me. Like,
0: his legacy of evil continues. Like, I would th- – there you go. I mean, that's that would entice the fans. That would – Yeah, through,
1: through – yeah, yeah. Like you said, the evil continues through the one person who gave you a chance, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that'd be much better. Mo- yeah. So much more appealing to the fans that I've been – With that movie forever.
0: Yeah. But this is essentially just another cop show. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And we've given too much time to it.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, we have. Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, uh, to help give sheltered individuals something nice, J.K. Rowling is joining forces with a host of British actors to read chapters from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Some actors joining the project are Eddie Redmayne, Stephen Fry, Dakota Fanning, David Beckham and franchise star Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. So cool. I know each celebrity will likely read a single chapter with Radcliffe starting out with chapter one. The boy who lived so cool that he's doing this. Incredible,
1: incredible stuff. That's that's the kind of kind of ideas you want to see floating around right now.
0: Oh, yeah. And I know there's going to be a ton of cool celebrity pop ups. A lot of the Potter cast is probably going to Skype in to do this. It's it's going to be neat.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Obviously, film guys, film guys and listeners uh, know that Harry Potter's a a yeah, huge franchise for for our website, for our podcast. We, we love that. It's like part of our childhood forever. And uh, it's cool that it can continue to be part of people's childhoods.
0: You know, it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. It's the essential like, you know, just as your kids starting to read like a lot of people, this is the book they'll give their kid to read
1: yeah, because it it totally stretches your imagination, but it's not tough to read, not tough to follow. No. Big, nice, big, solid print. And J.K. Rowling is just good at keeping you, keeping, you yeah, know, she's good at uh, the page turner.
0: Yeah, this is going, this is a franchise that's going to be around literally forever. As long yes. as there is civilized society, they will be reading Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> so that's all for the rewind. The Brood was uncharted territory for both of us. Is there any particular reason you decided on this film for the show?
1: Uh it's just it's one of those I know you and I both we are big on lists. We like to keep track of things and have cues and we like to knock out things and uh, especially when it comes to movies. And The Brood has been for I don't know how many how many years for, for just some time. I've always seen it as uh on these you know these like cult classic lists. I've always just seen in the and that that title just has always stood out to me, The Brood. Um, and I felt like I, I need to see this. And after seeing The Fly, you know, two three years ago, um, I felt like I needed to eventually dive deeper into Cronenberg's filmography. Uh, obviously, uh, there's the newer stuff you had you had pointed out before we started recording, uh, Eastern Promises, History of Violence. Uh, but those aren't those aren't necessarily like the Cronenberg classics, like the horror ones. And I just, yeah. I just have some I have some homework to do, but the Brood was the one that stood out to me the most because of the poster, because of the the title, uh, the DVD cases. And then I, you know, signed up for Criterion channel about two months ago and I saw that it was on there like right away. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of like a sign. Like I need to need to watch this movie. And it, it felt right to move this streaming service that uh, we can now use. It has these awesome, awesome horror movies, the Criterion channel. Now it's, Uh, another, another streaming service that you and I have used for this podcast. And I felt like it was right to eventually open that up. Um, pretty soon here, we're going to be doing a near dark, uh, which is also on there. Awesome. Awesome movie from Catherine Bigelow. And that's, that's, that's the fun part of it, you know, is opening up new doors to new things. And it was opening up door for myself and for you and for the podcast. So, um, I, yeah, it was anticipated already. And then the signs were just coming at me the past, you know, couple months and it felt, it felt Right. As dark as that sounds, because this movie is wicked dark, <laughs> uh, it, it, it felt it felt right that we were, we should do the Brood. Yeah,
0: I like that. I was uh, when I went to look for this movie on the Criterion Channel, I got sucked into a wormhole looking at Dude. everything that was on there. Oh, it's bad, yeah. <laughs> what really <laughs> stuck out to me is there are a shit ton of Godzilla movies on there. It's incredible, right? Like All the early ones. I have never been able to get a hold of those, and I am I... so excited.
1: Yes, yeah, man, it's insane. It, it's uh the Criterion especially j- just like Shudder just acquires these things that are so hard to get in the United States, so so hard to get, uh especially on DVD or to like attain and actually watch at home, that it's all there for us is is really really special. We love that shit, and uh yeah, that was one thing that definitely stood out to me. Um, what, what, were there any other titles that stood out to you on there? Um,
0: I made a list actually. Let me. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, so I would that.
1: I would love to hear that list. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I started um my Criterion Channel Diary where I'm going to track all the movies I watch on there each month because I'm I'm not tracking everything I watch on Netflix and all of that. But yeah, the Criterion as I go and uh, last month I watched like around 30 films and this month I'm at about 10. and It's just a blast being able to see these new things. Yeah.
0: It's so cool. I love that you can organize it by country, by decade. Like, yes, it really opens up. If I just want to watch, you know, sci fi movies from Brazil, I can totally, I just boom, boop, bop, and then see what they got. And, and, and just what you just
1: said sci fi movies from Brazil. No other streaming surf has, has that.
0: <laughs> okay. So the big movie that I really, really want to watch that I've actually been trying to find for a very long time is 1988's The Vanishing.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. We're definitely going to do that soon.
0: That is one of I've seen clips. I know the ending, so I know that it's gonna fuck with me because that's a legit fear of mine. Yes. And uh, it's just it's such a a cool idea. I've uh I know there's a remake from '93, but I'm Netflix has never had that, and I'm very excited that I'm gonna get to finally watch The Vanishing. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very. Also, um '97's Funny Games. I've heard that's really fucked up.
1: Yeah. We're definitely gonna do that one too. Yeah.
0: Um, it's a mad, 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 mad world. I wanted to watch that for years. Me too. Yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be really fun digging into this channel.
1: Yeah, and I, I've mentioned this to you uh, before. It's it's the it's one of those things where you you kind of unlock as a movie fan, and you're like, oh my god, there's so much more for me to learn. And that to you, to you and I, that's probably the best feeling that you and I like um, mutually. We mutually agree on. We love that feeling of like being woken up. Like, oh wow, there's. So much more for me to dig into. And that's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's like the end of Men in Black 2 when Jay finally thinks, you know, all right, I got a good handle on the my world. I know how everything works. And then Kay kicks open that door, and they're all just like a locker in an alien bus station. That's that's what I, re- I realized, like, oh, shit, I have this entire world that I know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> so let's <Yeah>. learn. <laughs> it,
1: it, exactly. Like, Let's just dig in. There's no other way other than to just start watching. <laughs> it's awesome.
0: Very true, and this is a great way to start out what I'm sure is going to be a very interesting Criterion journey for this podcast. 100%. (laughs) The Brood was written and directed by cult icon David Cronenberg. Cronenberg is known for his twisted imagery and unique stories. He pioneered the concept of body horror involving mutations or some other freakish thing being done to the human body. Some of his other work includes Shivers. Scanners, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, The Fly, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, and Cosmopolis. He's one of a kind, and personally, I think his masterpiece is The Fly. That's just such a grisly, fun, wild fucking movie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, I would agree. From what I've seen, I've only seen four of those. And yeah, I would agree, The Fly is definitely my favorite.
0: Uh, The Dead Zone is a fantastic watch I heard
1: I would love it. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's one of Christopher Walken's few leading performances, and he does such a subtle, great job. And it's a it's one of King's best novels, The Dead Zone. And it's really fun. It's a great movie. Uh, Cronenberg does a great job with that. It's not as brutal as a lot of his other stuff. It's very uh, contained, but so good. And then Videodrome is the exact opposite. Videodrome is fucking nuts. <laughs> Videodrome is James Woods getting sucked into TV, like literally to the point yeah, where it's, yeah. like, part of him. It's really fucking creepy and disturbing. And uh, I haven't seen Scanners yet or Shivers, but uh, I plan to.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely want to see everything he's done.
0: Yeah, for sure. He's and if you if you look at him, he looks like the kind of guy who would come <laughs> up with something fucked up like this. Oh, yeah.
1: And he, yeah, if you look at pictures of him in 1979
0: and
1: now. Yeah. He just looks like a mad scientist. Yeah.
0: There's a few, like, directors who look exactly like you think they'd look.
1: Martin Scorsese looks exactly how I picture him.
0: Martin Scorsese, David Lynch, Clive Barker. Like, these guys just look (laughs) like, yeah, you would come up with Hellraiser, you twisted fuck. Like... (laughs) It just, uh, yeah, it's just a look. It's like a, you know, silver hair, kind of wrinkly, worn-out face, dead-eyed, thousand-yard stare, and <laughs> you got these guys. I don't, yeah. what, I don't know what happened, but something fucking happened.
1: I, w- I would say, actually, the guy that we both love, uh, one of the guys we both love, Quentin Tarantino, when you hear his voice, you're like, that's the guy who made Pulp Fiction, you know? I
0: know, it's but you uh, look at his face, and you're like, yeah, you would come up with the gimp. <laughs> i believe that 100 (laughs) percent.
1: yeah and you totally would have that kitchen scene where you're going off like you definitely shouldn't be going off (laughs) you would do that yeah yeah yeah
0: speaking of tarantino i recently watched the uh four-part extended version of the hateful eight yeah i didn't really it was not necessary like he the original cuts better
1: i i agree i agree
0: um yeah, I've, I've never been a huge,
1: huge, huge fan of the, like, years later, let's just add on another hour of, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it ends up usually being more of the same, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, usually the final cut is the final cut for the reason, for, you know, for a reason.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of director's cuts out there that really stand out to me, I think, for me, my opinion, the, uh, one of my favorite director's cuts that actually really worked and was substantially better is Superman 2.
1: Okay, the, that's a good call.
0: Richard Richard Donner cut because he was fired halfway through making the movie and replaced okay, with yeah. somebody else. But Donner made, released his own version of the film in the early in the uh, early to mid two thousands, and it makes way more sense. The characters are tighter. The decisions make more sense. Like the way they act, the endings better. Like yeah, just straight up, Richard Donner knew what he was doing. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes I just don't think it's necessary. Like we talked about him recently, the four or five different versions of Blade Runner that are out there.
1: Like, yeah frustrating as hell
0: yeah it gets ridiculous sometimes well the brood came to cronenberg during his divorce from then wife margaret hinson with whom he had a child the divorce was so bitter as was the custody battle that inspired cronenberg to write a counterpoint to the divorce film kramer versus kramer that he had heard was being made the brood was the antithesis of kramer versus kramer it was brutal unapologetic horrific and angry He actually said that it's he said when talking about the brood, it's Kramer versus Kramer, but more realistic.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's it's. Um. uh, Yeah, the brood is fascinating for so many reasons, but I love that. I definitely read about that today before we recorded because I love Kramer versus Kramer and I love, you know, like marriage stories looked at as like the modern, you know, you know, uh, 40 years later type thing. And. You can see uh, – have you seen Kramer vs. Kramer? I haven't. You, you can you can see, like, he's kind of, like, almost making fun of some of the shots to me. At least that's how I interpreted it. In <laughs> The Brood, because of, like, the colors in the house, specifically the colors uh, – we'll get to this scene. the scene – the colors in the classroom, uh, probably the most brutal scene of the whole movie. <laughs> um, uh, all of that stuff, the way it's shot, it feels like a family, like, la-da-da-da-da. And then it's just got this, you know, these unapologetic characters that are so ruthless and tiny. Yeah, it's um it is it, it is pretty funny. I, I definitely encourage people to see Kramer's Kramer with a different lens, not like trying to make fun of it, because I think it's a pretty good movie. And I think you would like it, Connor, um, and it's yeah. the best picture winner. So you should check it out. But yes, uh, yes. but but you can see the parallels. And I, I definitely understand that now after watching both like, ah, yeah, he's totally he's totally, <laughs> he's totally taking that and stripping it down to its like rawest possible emotions and forms. It's crazy.
0: That's nuts. I think for me, this movie is creepy. It's, it's scary, but it would be nothing without Howard Shore's score. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Holy man. shit, dude. Oh. I mean, that music like is going to give me nightmares. Like, I think this was Shores like first movie too.
1: Yeah, I, there there's a few times uh, I can, like, point out and s- there's certain scores that will, uh, you know, like The Shining did this to me the first time I saw it, where you actually feel your, your heart stop breathing, like, for a second, you, like, and you, yeah. your whole body, your whole body stops, and you have to remind yourself to, like, fucking exhale, you know, and you're like, oh, my <laughs> God, you know, it's just um, breathtaking, but it keeps coming, it keeps coming, keeps coming, and escalates as the movie goes on, yeah, it's just stellar craftsmanship from all all of the like supporting parts of this the cast and crew the cinematography the score all these little things the lighting the production design the costumes are is all set up so perfectly that it's bound to be a good movie
0: true i think it's interesting that uh i had never known this before but howard shore is essentially cronenberg's john williams he's done like all of his movies yeah yeah you look at imdb you're like oh shit yeah I did not know that the guy who did the unbelievably like perfect score from the Lord of the Rings franchise is also the guy with Iron. Cronenberg's fucked up music. That's great. Do you <laughs> think Do you think that he has a relationship, uh, with Vigo Mortensen? Cronenberg? Uh,
1: both uh, Shore and Cronenberg. Because I don't Lord know the about. Rings... Sh-
0: I think I don't know about Shore. I d- I doubt. I don't know if composers have that kind of relationship yep. with actors.
1: Maybe not. I just think like maybe there's like a there's like a ring re- where maybe there's introductions that took place. Because let's see, when did History of Violence come out?
0: That was 05.
1: And Eastern Promises is right 06. after that? Yeah, that yeah. was 06. So those would both be 7. after Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, I just like sometimes, you know, like maybe it's possible that Howard Shore is like Vigo would be perfect to work with Cronenberg or something. I don't know. That'd be really
0: cool. Maybe. Could be. Not a lot of actors have worked with Cronenberg twice, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's mainly my point, was like, oh, Vigo Vigo is the guy? That's really weird. (laughs) Yeah, Vigo knows how to pick his fucking scripts, though. Like, that guy, he... Goddamn, he
1: does, yeah. Yeah,
0: his films are fucking great. His performances are great.
1: Hell yeah, even if the movie, even if I don't like the movie, I'm not a big fan of Green Book, but shit, he is acting in that movie.
0: (laughs) So... Let's get into the cast here. So Cronenberg cast British actor and legendary crazy man, Oliver Reed, as Dr. Hal Raglan, pioneer of a new breed of psychology called psychoplasmics, where the patient's emotions can literally manifest into living beings. And everyone calls him crazy for believing in this. And uh, Oliver Reed is an interesting character, worthy of a Weird Shit Wednesday, 100 percent down the road. Reed was known for his drunken antics and wild behavior way more than his performances. Some of uh, some of his performances include the 1968 musical Oliver. uh, The adventures of Baron Munchausen, Tommy and his final film, Gladiator, which he died in the middle of production of. And check out this tidbit about his death. If you want to know who this man was, listen to how he died. (laughs) So he died of a heart attack in a bar after downing three bottles of Captain Morgan's Jamaica rum, eight bottles of German beer Numerous doubles of famous grouse whiskey and Hennessy cognac, and beating five much younger Royal Navy sailors at arm wrestling. His bar bill for the his bar bill at the end of the day totaled nearly six (laughs) hundred dollars. That is Peter Griffin. Yeah, it's the Bender that killed him. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ! And this was not weird behavior. Oliver Reed was nuts. (laughs) That man got into fights. He would get drunk off his fucking ass every day, like every day, every hour when he was supposed to be working. He would show up completely fucking lit off his ass, not giving a shit. I mean, this guy <laughs> was... Yeah, Oliver Reed is fucking nuts, and I, I loved learning about this guy. <laughs> and actually, in Gladiator, his character gets killed off unceremo- like unceremoniously because he had died, and they use kind of a weird-looking CGI oliver reed in that scene it's it's a weird moment
1: yeah i i noticed that uh gladiator is a fascinating rewatch when's the last time you watched gladiator
0: uh a couple of years ago
1: yeah yeah it's it's, it's an interesting one I, I mean i definitely it's still awesome i still i just remember love like connecting to it so much when i was like in middle school you know it's yeah one of the first it was one of those first epic movies i saw and i just don't feel the same like bond with it i still really like it but i don't feel that same like little boy bond that i had with it it's kind of (laughs) sad that 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 happens with movies though that's how it goes
0: yeah i've i've i really don't want that to happen to me with braveheart and i feel like it's going to
1: that happened to me like a couple years ago yeah
0: (laughs) i still like in my heart i love that movie and i don't want that to change
1: (laughs) it's still it's still very epic, very epic scale, and it's got some awesome quotes, uh, Braveheart, but but yeah, I just remember being like, oh, this isn't as, like, quality as I remember, because um, you're more distracted by, yeah, just the scale and the epicness of it, uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's what movies, you know, there's different different ways movies do things, you know, different ways to entertain, and sometimes you just want to give them, you know, that big, big bang boom, and that's what you like as a kid, and I don't know, just you just grow and like different things.
0: Did you know that Angus McFadden re- released recently a sequel to Braveheart called Robert what? the Bruce? Yeah. He he play, he he, uh, re- he plays his character, Robert the Bruce, again, as he leads the fight for Scottish independence. It came out, like, briefly a couple months ago, and it got horrible, horrible reviews. I didn't and, even know about that. Yeah. What, for some reason, whenever the, the Scots try to tell the story of Robert the Bruce, just nobody fucking responds. It's, he's one of, like, the Scots' most revered heroes, but he can't catch a break yeah, in film.
1: No, no good movies, yeah.
0: <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> like. So, Oscar nominee Samantha Egger played mentally disturbed mother Nola Carvith. Egger was nominated for her performance in 1965's The Collector, and I've got some fucked up shit to tell you about that movie in a second. Some of Egger's other films include The Astronaut's Wife, the original Dr. Doolittle, and she was the voice of Zeus's wife, Hera, in Disney's Hercules. So, The Collector. 1965's The Collector is a movie that has inspired no less than four serial killers. It's a movie about a psychologically disturbed man who is obsessed with kidnapping a woman and holding her hostage and hoping she falls in love with him. And, uh, Spoiler alert, she does not. But this movie and the book that inspired it inspired uh, Robert Berdella, the Kansas City Butcher. It was his favorite movie. Uh, Serial killer duo Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. It was their favorite book. They murdered 25 people, raped and tortured a bunch of women. And then there was this Australian dude. Loved the book. Killed a bunch of people, too. It's the weirdest thing. This book has triggered so many people to murder a lot more. It's very yeah. strange, which so makes bizarre. me, which makes me kind of want to see the movie. I mean,
1: okay, yeah, let's go there. So, <laughs> um, that's like an interesting like place to go because I, the, a, a lot of art has inspired people to do insane, insane things. And I know, I know you and I, the way we look at it is like, well, how, how bad can it be? You know, kind of like let like let's go down that rabbit hole. But there's also there's also a part of us that's like, oh, shit, like, I mean, that really messed with people. We're totally aware of that. But, um, man, it is tough to justify wanting to watch something like that. But I'm totally with you.
0: (laughs) So to be fair, at least three of those guys, I don't know anything about the Australian guy, but I know enough about Berdella and the other two guys. They were already significantly fucked up before they found the collector. They They liked it a lot. Yeah, they they were abused as children, they had upbringing, they were sociopaths, they already wanted to torture women, and in Robert Bedella's case, men. But the collector kind of gave them that push. Yeah. They embraced this story, that was exactly what they wanted. And the actually, the writer of the book, I don't remember his name, but he testified at uh, one of the uh, killer's trials, kind of had to explain himself. <laughs> it was weird. But uh, I'm going to find that movie and we are going to do that on the podcast. We're going to do The Collector just because I need to see what is what is this shit? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like a snuff film. I mean, it's it's an Oscar nominated 60s, you know, horror. Yeah. Psychological thriller. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be different if this was, you know, some fucked up snuff film that is hard to find. Then I would totally get it. But in this case, I need to, you know, I kind of want to see why. Yeah. And Samantha Samantha Egger got an Oscar nomination for that. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Art Hindle plays concerned father Frank Carveth, our hero. Hindle uh, played Chris Hayden in past Filmgasm episode Black Christmas. And he also appeared in Porkies, the nineteen seventy eight invasion of the body snatchers, and he had a lead role on the Canadian soap opera ENG, which ran from nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety four. And Black Christmas is the kind of movie where I don't remember anybody's name. So I do not remember who Chris Hayden is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no.
0: Yeah. Feel bad, but I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah, I remember Billy, and that is it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I don't remember anybody's name from Friday the 13th either. Like, these movies don't exactly have, you know, particularly memorable victims. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The Brood has an IMDb score of 6.8, Rotten Tomatoes score of 81%. It was a moderate hit, grossing about $5 million on a budget of $1.4 million Canadian. It was a Canadian production. A lot of film fans consider it to be the film that put David Cronenberg on the map. Shivers was the, one, the first one he did, but The Brood was the one that proved he was going to be a horror force to be reckoned with. And with that, let's go into the plot. Let's do it. So we open with some creepy ass music from Howard Shore. Sets the tone pretty strong right from the get go. Like this is going to fuck you up. So yeah, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what, what, we,
1: what a great feeling.
0: I know. Right. When I hear it's it's strings, strings a horror score get me to the bone. Like, I don't know why, but I just get incredibly chilled and, you know, tense whenever I hear that shit.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Strings, strings in general have a major effect on me. And I think I point it back to being nine years old and seeing Lost for the first time and hearing the dong, dong. (laughs) And that always like stuck with me. And then you see it in horror and you're like, oh, my God, you know, like they take it to the next level. And they're these orchestras and Howard Shore, this man deserves all the honorary Oscars. Give this guy. Unbelievable input uh, for the horror genre, and then, like you said, I mean, fucking Lord of the Rings.
0: Come on. <laughs> I think my uh, my fear of strings can definitely be traced back to James Newton Howard's score for Signs.
1: Nice, that's a good one too. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: That movie fucked with my childhood. I saw that at the movies with my mom and dad.
1: Oh God.
0: Yeah, they shouldn't have taken me to see this. But,
1: but wait, how old were we
0: when that? Came I was out? seven.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna
0: say, wasn't that like O two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I went and saw that, and already I'm like, oh god, what is this? But I, you know, I don't want to tell my mom and dad like I'm scared, so I just kind of sat there, and uh, then it got boring, you know, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, and I don't know who these people are. Like I don't know what's going on. What's a what's a crop circle? You know, I was seven, I didn't know. <laughs> and
1: yeah.
0: And then that alien walked across the screen on the uh, the home video on the news and I screamed bloody murder my dad had to take me out and into, into the bathroom and tell me like it's okay buddy it's not real it's aliens aren't real it's all good and I was like no I'm not going back in there <laughs> I'm not going back in there and your dad's like well
1: then you wait out here because I gotta go finish the movie
0: <laughs>
1: I I <Jesus. laughs>
0: I honestly do not remember the rest of the day. I don't know if we left or if we went back in. I was so traumatized, <laughs> and yeah, to this day, that scene just unnerves me more than most most horror movies. Is oh, fucking hell.
1: <laughs> oh seven.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have to do signs on the show one day, so like, we could just kind of unpack that scene, try to figure out why the fuck is it so scary.
1: Oh, man. That, is but that score
0: is unnerving. I, signs yeah. might be Shyamalan's scariest movie, I think.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I haven't seen I, all of them, but I've seen the big ones, you know, like Village and Sixth Sense, those. You've
0: yeah, seen the it. ones that matter, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is not a lot. <laughs> There's like four, and then you can kind of write off the rest.
1: <laughs> oh, I hate doing that on this podcast, but we just did it because it's M Night. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to uh, sing praises for the guy who made The Happening and The Last it, Airbender.
1: Exactly, exactly. Especially The Last Airbender. One of the greatest animes of all time and just <laughs> throw, thrown down the drain with that movie.
0: That is the worst like $1,350 i have ever spent for a 3D ticket.
1: <laughs> 3D? Goddamn.
0: The whole family went and we left thinking, like, what was that shit? None of us had seen the show. I don't know why the hell we were there.
1: Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Brilliant.
0: (laughs) Strings. Fucking strings. (laughs) (laughs) The Brood. We enter at the Soma Free Institute, the kind of weird haven of Dr. Raglan and his patients. And he is kind of giving a lecture slash interpretive theater uh, not really sure what the fuck's going on there. Improv. Improv. <laughs> and, uh, he's basically, like, verbally assaulting one of his patients, a guy named Mike, who keeps calling him Daddy. So already, <laughs> I'm out. That is one of the creepiest things to me, is a grown man calling anybody Daddy. <laughs> that is the creepiest shit, dude. I don't care what the scenario is. There is no acceptable reason. I, yeah, I agree with you, but especially when it's
1: obviously not his dad.
0: No. <laughs> when it's, he's got a,
1: and he's got welts all over his back. It's like this is not good.
0: When it's on a stage in front of a bunch of people, and he's just like, "Love me, daddy." Like, fuck, man. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> 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 My God. And Why Raglan, do we watch these movies <laughs> for fun? Goddamn it! <laughs> I'm just trying to get through the day. <laughs> oh my god! So, Raglan is go like, responding to him, saying like, you know, you're a weak person. You got that from your mother. You should have been born a girl. We could have called you Michelle. And it's clear here that this is supposed to be some kind of role play therapy, but it's. Deeper than that. Raglan kind of hypnotizes these people into thinking that he is the person they're angry at so they can lash out at him as part of their therapy. But Mike is so weak and just, well, weak. He's super weak. It's kind of the only word you can use to describe this guy. He has no other personality traits.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he goes so far past vulnerable that he's not even a human anymore.
0: Yeah. And, he won't lash out because he wants to be loved so much. And uh, Raglan's using this to demonstrate his methods to these people, including uh, Frank, who's in the who's in the crowd. And uh, Mike reveals these angry red blotches all over his torso. The audience gasps. And Raglan announces this is psychoplasmics, the physical manifestations of mental rage by the appearance of the welts. However, it's a lot deeper than that with Nola. <laughs> Not quite. Her rage is so powerful that it literally creates monsters. Which is such a cool idea. That you can be so aggressively angry and pissed at something that that rage takes on a life of its own. I mean, Jesus.
1: It spawns off something that can act off of your own emotions. Yeah. So incredible.
0: (laughs) It reminded me of something I watched. I don't remember. I did,
1: yeah, I'm with you. The brood did that a lot. Where I was like, oh man, it it was like shouting stuff out. I mean, I love the uh, at one point there's a restroom scene. It was like, oh, this kind of looks like Psycho, and then it kind of flips it around and makes you ah, oh, it just does this stuff. I I don't know. Cronenberg has such a a grasp of of horror in the, and the and the, the the just the frightening shit. You know, he's such a understanding of it. It's amazing.
0: I think it was. I think it was a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, actually. Okay, Where somebody had, like, made a deal to uh, become rich and famous, but their dark side became a monster and kind of, like, roamed the town, killing people at at random.
1: Oh, whoa.
0: And then there was another one where Willow cast a spell that accidentally made it so that everybody did whatever she said, no matter how ridiculous the the situation. I mean, he had, like... Buffy and her mortal enemy started making out. Like, it was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. That just popped into my head with this. It's the idea that, you know, your emotions can literally get the better of you in the worst possible way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wonder if it works for other ones, or is it just rage? Like, can you love somebody so much that that takes on a life of its own? Or, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just like, oh, that'd be creepy.
1: These, like, Care Bears running around, like, ah, oh, yeah.
0: I'm just picturing yeah. those weird, like, demon children just, like, running up on someone and humping their leg.
1: Yeah, just, just happy. Yeah, just really
0: happy. Jesus Christ. That's worse than the that's worse than the murder. <laughs>
1: yeah, agreed. It kind of reminds me. It reminds me of two things. It reminds me of uh, the genius episode from Rick and Morty, the me Seeks and Destroy. Whenever, <laughs> hi, Mr. Me Seek, oh, help, look at me. And there's, like, a hundred of them. They're all trying to help Jerry with his golf swing, and he can't fucking figure it out. Oh, man. Classic. Yeah. Fucking classic. Incredible. <laughs> Rick and Morty. Have you been watching the new episodes of Rick and Morty?
0: Uh, I haven't watched the one from this Sunday. I'm going to watch that after you, after we're done here. But yes, uh, I did yeah, watch last week's, and that was crazy.
1: <laughs> it, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I love that show. Yeah, <laughs> Fucking
0: clever good, as hell.
1: <laughs> good to have it back. One thing I wish that was, like, a little bit better was the music. I feel like the theme song isn't, like quite strong enough for the show it's like too long maybe and it kind of goes all over the place i rick and morty needs a really good theme song
0: Mm i like i would like a um i'm probably in the minority on this but i'd like an arc
1: yeah 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 i'm i'm with you on that just like even if it was making fun of it like it'd be funny
0: yeah but i feel like the last like last week's episode was basically a fuck you to everyone who wanted an arc (laughs) or it's like you know, here's a little bit of all the stories you want. Now, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's go to, what I Go think to that. bed. Yeah, go to bed. We'll see you next week.
0: <laughs> oh. So after witnessing this bizarre form of therapy, Frank Carveth goes to collect his nine-year-old daughter Candy from a private guest room. Dr. Raglan allows Nola to visit her, uh, her daughter Candy uh, once a week. It's part of her therapy. Frank takes her home, gives her a bath and sees bruises and scratches on her back and is immediately like, oh, fuck, no. Tiger dad comes out. He drives back to the Soma Free Institute and confronts Dr. Raglan and is like, what the fuck? Uh, My wife's beaten my daughter and that needs to stop. And he demands to see his wife. But Raglan's like, no, uh, that's not part of her therapy. You can't see her until I say you can see her. Bunch of red flags already. I love how this movie kind of leads you to think Raglan is the bad guy. But in reality, he doesn't know this is fucking happening. Like, it's so great. Yeah, yeah. The,
1: um... I don't know, because The Brood, you you obviously... If you've seen, like, the trailer at all, or if you've seen, like, the poster or whatever, you have an idea that a woman is going to be behind this, right? Like, you're like, there's a woman involved in this in some manner. And... Even then, even then, when I was watching the movie, I was like, this guy's evil as fuck. (laughs) Even then, even then, I was convinced, because this guy, whether he was waste or not, he's a damn good actor.
0: Oh, yes. Well, that's Oliver Reed. He has this build of, like, well, yeah, of course he's the bad guy. He looks like the bad guy. You wouldn't cast Oliver Reed if this wasn't the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the therapist, and you just, I, I, I I got the vibe that, yes, there's a woman making these creatures but he's making that making the woman make the creatures that's what i thought like this is his idea this is his plan but no he's completely out of the loop was not expecting that at all no and and yeah
1: later on has a scene of some 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 really fucking amazing action that he takes uh later on in the movie he gets a
0: fucking redemption arc like what the fuck Yeah, yeah 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 Uh, and I love it. It's like, uh, we'll we'll get to that. But that was, yeah, that was fantastic. Yes, this movie's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank and Raglan have it out. And uh, we find out his uh, Ra- Frank's wife, Nola, was committed after she had a nervous breakdown. She was reportedly abused a lot as a child. She never really felt loved or wanted or needed. And one day she just fucking snapped. And she went here. And Raglan's using this new form of therapy to kind of... Make Nola whole again. Raglan said uh, does not like that Frank's trying to intrude on the therapy. Frank accuses Nola of abusing their daughter and says he's not going to take Candy here again. And Raglan threatens legal action if Frank does this because it would be withholding a vital part of Nola's treatment. And Frank is like, "Are you kidding me? No, I, if, if this is my daughter's well-being, I decide what happens here. He goes to talk to his lawyer who tells him that Nola has a stronger legal position despite the fact that she's committed to a mental hospital because juries believe in motherhood no matter what the situation, which is so fucked up, especially in this situation. I mean, Nola's committed to a mental ward for having a nervous breakdown. She's abusing her daughter, and the jury would still grant custody to her. Oh, God. Yeah. Really, it's yeah.
1: it's it, it, it is crazy, and you immediately—I mean, this entire film—you you are like—I—I uh, I don't know how Frank sustains the mental, you know, even keeled mentality that he does because I would be so fucking pissed off so many different times, um, it, it, especially at, at Noah Nola. Yeah, just oh man, <laughs> like, I I just don't know how like um. As, as, like a, as like I'm a dad now as a as a person, even I would want to just go right into that building, you know, and just start smashing stuff, you know, and like no, like you guys don't know what the fuck you're doing. And his his mental capacity to just kind of like take things as they come and continue trying to take care of his daughter is is really extremely valiant.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't you know throw a punch at Raglan not even once.
1: Yeah, just I, I'm shocked he doesn't lose it at one point and. I mean, well, yeah, we'll get there, but there's there's other people who are like distracting him. Uh, the his father-in-law, it's like, dude, you're not helping the situation at all by being drunk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh Matt. So, Frank says he's gonna do what he has to do for his daughter's well-being. That's all that matters to him. So yes. he takes Candy to her uh, her grandmother, Juliana, who is uh, Noah's mother, and she seems kind of strung out, a little a little off. And, uh, back at the Institute, Raglan goes into Nola's room for therapy, and, uh, he is play-acting as Candy, asks her why she hurt her daughter, and, wait a minute, yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, it's, confused, it's a little bit confusing, but Raglan is Candy, Nola is Nola, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raglan tells her, you know, mummies don't hurt their own children, and Nola says, they do, but only fucked up mummies. like it's... <laughs> Oh, when really, like, oh,
1: she says, when she says that, the way she says it, <laughs> give her the Oscar. <laughs> Fucked up, mummies.
0: I had an exorcist <laughs> flashback, dude. I was like, yes, that woman's yes. possessed. <laughs>
1: fuck me, fuck me. It was the same. Oh, man, that shit was wild. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, Ugh. that was like, that was some of my favorite acting from the movie was that scene. When them two are, they, they both say uh, combined mummy about 27 times. And you're like, ah. <laughs>
0: god and uh so
1: it's like infuriating
0: <laughs> it is it's weird like the whole point the whole time i'm thinking like how is this kind of therapy helping anybody like you never see any signs that she's getting better <laughs> nope only
1: worse only oh yeah uh, more only more powerful yeah
0: well raglan tells her you know get angry go all you know go all the way through it see your anger through to the end don't suppress that let it out but her anger is so powerful that to let it out means death (laughs) that evening at juliana's house she investigates noise in the kitchen stuff keeps flying off the shelves at first i'm like is this a fucking ghost because you don't see anything you just see stuff Mm -hmm. flying off the shelves and i'm like
1: which is awesome she made a ghost i i i love and i often think about how like things are done a lot of that scene made sense up until the toaster the little toaster Came off the wall, it didn't come off the wall, it stayed plugged in, but it was it was hanging off the counter. And it was like, how the fuck did they do that, other than someone being on the other side of the wall and, like, you know, fucking pushing it. But, you know, movies are movies, and this is what they do, you know?
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm not prepared at all for what we do see, which is like a small child wearing a raincoat that beats Juliana to death with a little hammer. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: what in the fuck and uh candy sees this happen and uh goes and hides from whatever the hell this is
1: but at this time it really because we don't see a face yet it really looks like candy especially with the red jacket with the red coat it really really looks like her and i really thought it was her at first and i still kind of thought it was her after she like saw it was supposedly traumatized i was like i don't know man that might have still been her i don't know
0: she thought this was going to be kind of like a don't look now situation I, I
1: thought maybe the mom was possessing her in some way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of questions. There were a lot of ways this could go, and the way it but does go, Yeah. yeah, is the best. Yeah, pure yeah. fucking Cronenberg. You're just out of yeah. nobody yeah. else could come up with that. <laughs> oh my god. So the next morning, uh, at his workplace, Frank gets a phone call informing him of Juliana's murder. He goes to the uh. Police and finds out that Dr. Birkin, police psychologist, is uh, w- talking to his daughter, Candy, to uh, see if she remembers what happens, says she might have suffered a breakdown. And uh, Birkin tells Frank, like, you got to be patient with her and encourage her to talk because these things tend to express themselves in one way or another. <laughs> There's so many hints at the emotional side of things of what's really happening here and it's so smart it's so well written uh, did um dr Birkin? i looked him up at me i thought i swear to god i thought that was uh elliot from breaking bad <laughs> oh wow yeah he looked just <laughs> like hilarious. the guy it wasn't him but he looked just like him
1: i can see that for sure yeah that was a really that was a really interesting performance from him
0: yeah really cool character. there is kind of thinking candy did this yeah yeah it's they're not saying it but dr Birkin is basically telling frank like look i think i think your daughter knows more about this than she's letting on but frank is you know he is you know no it's my daughter like she didn't do nothing i we're gonna find who did this back at the institute raglan is now speaking canola as her father And she gets very angry saying you shouldn't have walked away when she hit me. So Nola is expressing hatred and anger towards her parents for the abuse that she suffered at her mother's hands and the neglect she suffered at her father's. And Raglan's encouraging this anger to come out. And lo and behold, her mom gets killed and next victim is dad. So it's it's uh, around that time you start to figure it out. You start to figure out, all right, she's causing this, but how, and what, like, how is she doing this (laughs) is the question. Um, at the airport, Frank goes to meet Barton Kelly, Noah's estranged father, who is here for the ex-wife's funeral. And, uh, on his lawyer's advice, Frank goes to visit Jan Hartog, an ex Soma free patient who is currently taking his own legal action against Dr. Raglan, and this guy was weird. <laughs> I don't know what was up with this guy, but I, I I was expecting him to be like a monster or a liar or some creep. Just the performance he gives is so off the wall. Yeah. And not
1: like, yeah, I agree with you and kind of out of tune with everybody else. It seems
0: <laughs> Yeah, very true. But this guy says Raglan's, uh, psychoplasmics gave me cancer and he shows he's got tumors on his neck Barry Cronenberg looking weird tumors yes (laughs) Yes. and uh, he says that he's suing because Raglan gave him cancer and Frank's like can you prove that and he's like no but imagine the headlines it'll ruin him just because people will associate psychoplasmics with cancer it's shady as shit but you know it's a good plan (laughs) yeah Back at the Institute, Barton Kelly shows up drunk, demanding to see his daughter, and is furious when Raglan tells him that she doesn't know that her mom is dead, and he's not going to tell her. And Barton says, like, I'm going to be here tomorrow morning, and I'm going to take her with me. And that's what's going to happen next. Like, he is very threatening. (laughs) And Raglan does not put any credence into this at all. Frank arrives at Candy's school and meets with his teacher. I mean, with her teacher, Ruth Mayer, invites her to dinner. And uh, that evening, Ruth has dinner with Frank and Candy. Barton calls Frank from Juliana's house saying he needs Frank's help to get Nolan uh, to get Nola out of the Soma Free. Like he's going to do some he's going to do some some uh, some bad shit.
1: Yeah, he's going with he's going with her without him, no matter what. Yeah.
0: So Frank's like, all right. Wait for me, I'll be there. So he asks Ruth if she can babysit. She agrees. And he goes to help out Frank. And uh, by the time he gets there, not Frank, Barton, sorry. By the time Frank gets there, Barton's been killed by that same little man, little creature.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That little man. (laughs) Oh, those little creepy tiki-looking fuckers, yeah.
0: It's like somebody put a body on a shrunken head. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, ice climbers. Yeah, this beats him to death with some paperweights. It's weird. Well, yeah, they
1: they kind of look like the ice climbers, just with their puffy jackets and their little hammers, and they're like,
0: yeah, <laughs> Super Smash Bros. God. <laughs> I I was expecting kind of a Gremlins looking thing, like kind of a. Like a little bit, like a, like a Gremlins meets the little dwarf from Don't Look Now. Yeah. Like I was expecting. And it's kind of what I got. <laughs> but uh, Frank shows up and sees this thing. It, like, jumps him in the bathroom, but then falls, falls over and just kind of dies. And Frank's like, the fuck? <laughs> what is this thing? And he calls the cops. Back at Frank's house, Ruth answers a phone call from Nola and nola goes into a violent jealous rage calling ruth a bitch saying you know how you're ruining my marriage you whore what, Who do you think you are and just kind of ah and ruth hangs up the phone and is like nope <laughs> not dealing with that tonight <laughs> fuck <laughs> fuck that yeah not my department jesus <laughs> that is not my job <laughs> At the police station, Frank gives a statement and meets the pathologist who is doing an autopsy on the weird creature that attacked him. And everyone kind of treats this like it's, you know, business as usual, like this happens all the time.
1: Which, which, all right. Okay, that's um, one thing that happened a lot in the 60s and 70s horror movies is the police and the doctors are usually not very good at their jobs. Maybe because, like, you know, over time, I guess in horror movies now, the cops are a little bit smarter. But I feel like in these movies, like, they just, they're just kind of, like you said, treat it like business. This, this is no business. This is, this is evil at its, you know, at its core, at its, at its finest. Like, let's take this seriously. And they're like, yeah, I think your daughter has uh, experienced some traumatizing events. Like, you think so? (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, they're so stupid. They, yeah, I don't know. It's like they haven't seen anything.
0: But the way these people are like looking at this demonic fucking weird like claw, you know, claws and like cat-like face creature and they're just like, "Well, I guess it ran out of gas." <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, it needs it needs that fuel, you know, yeah. Well, and
1: then, uh carry on. Yeah. Like what?
0: <laughs> I mean, these guys d- discovered a-, a new species of half man, half like Bobcat that yeah. murders people <laughs> with, with, with no, with no re-
1: reproductive organs, with no belly button. Like what, what uh, this is, this is an alien. What are you guys? <laughs> you're not oh, going
0: to just, you're not going to immediately call national geographic. You're going to just move, like put this in the freezer and move on. <laughs> like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that that's really yeah, that's my issue with a lot of horror. a lot of movies in general is just how they can't they they don't operate realistically with like some some occupations you know including right here with like the cop with the cops and FBI and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, also wh- why is Frank allowed to just go wherever the fuck he pleases to see <laughs> to see all these like top top secret things? I I don't know
0: I don't know I didn't even pick up on that but you're totally right he <laughs> should not saying, be allowed feel, in there.
1: I feel like Frank's life. <laughs> for the amount of stuff Frank experiences and sees in the brood, he is way too normal. <laughs> uh, how he comes out in the end. I don't know. But then again, the ending is pretty, pretty amazing. So we'll get there.
0: But I like how the pathologist kind of points out this thing doesn't have a belly button, which means it yeah, wasn't yeah. born. Yeah. It, or at least, you know, not the normal way this thing was created. Interesting. Right. Very,
1: uh, very interesting. Because that also, you know, the, there's you know no no way I, I don't uh, to partake necessarily in religion but I, obviously a lot of people do and horror movies like to you know battle with that line obviously and that's like where it kind of comes in play I think a little bit of yeah. you know what yeah what 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 can how far can evil really go can it actually create something without um, God's permission you know that's that's pretty yeah. that's a pretty dark thing t- and I Cronenberg that's kind of like he will go there his mind can actually go there and he'll actually succeed in uh, telling that kind of a story. But I I, that's like an amazing thing to think about is, you know, if under, you know, like Christianity, if God were to create all things, then this thing, there's no way this thing can exist unless there's another evil power that's just as capable of creating something. And that is like, whoa, you know, that's an amazing, dark, dark thing. Yeah.
0: Well, a lot of Cronenberg's horror films deal with the concept of how dare you play God? Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, you know, this is no exception, but I think that, uh, what this thing is, or in my opinion, I think it's a Tulpa. Okay. Okay. And for those of you who don't know, a Tulpa is a creature that is willed into existence by the power of belief. Right. And yeah, I think that fits the bill pretty good for this fucking thing. Me too.
1: I, I, yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah.
0: Um, so Raglan's now speaking to Nola as Ruth Mayor and Raglan says, you know, Frank's going to divorce you and marry me and Nola's like, "The fuck she, the fuck he is?" <laughs> and Dale's like, "He's my, you know, it's my husband, that's my man" and just goes completely apeshit. And <laughs> Jerry Springer UK edition. And Frank gets home <laughs> from the <laughs> Frank gets home from the police station and Ruth's like, "Look, I didn't sign up for this shit. Like I'm just your kids' teacher. I'm not getting in the middle of this complicated shit." So I will not be coming to dinner again, <laughs> and yeah, just leaves and,
1: and yeah. Ruth looks a little bit like the waitress from It's Always Sunny, <laughs> and Frank is
0: Charlie. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I see. I thought she looked like Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby I, I, for sure. I, that's my first thought,
1: but then I was like, ah, uh, she also looks like the waitress from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Frank is very much just like, yeah, I get it. All right. See you later. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, My life he, is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I like Frank. He's really much just, he's very much just like, fuck <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I mean, love
1: when he's, when he's like compromising with her, he's like, it'll just be 45 minutes. <laughs> just give me 45 fucking minutes to go get this drunk ass guy out of the car, please. <laughs>
0: My wife's been committed, my daughter's traumatized, my grand my my mother-in-law was just murdered, and my father-in-law is drunk in her house and threatening to go kill the guy's doctor. So can I have 45 minutes? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh. So he uh he goes upstairs to find Candy cowering in her bedroom after a nightmare and tells her the thing that killed grandma is dead. You don't have to worry about it, it's gone. Candy hugs him. And uh, the next morning, Raglan's reading about Barton Kelly's murder, and he takes a gun out of his desk and tells his his assistant, Chris, to kick the patients out of the Institute. Great doctor. He's just like, fuck everyone else. I'm only dealing with this one now. (laughs) And they're like, he's like, but they paid up. And he's like, well, not my problem. (laughs) That check has been cashed, Chris. No longer my problem. (laughs) Yeah, get them out of here, yeah. And Mike is like, no, daddy, no. And Chris is like, get on the fucking bus. We're done.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Remember Mike from the
1: beginning? Yeah. The, the weirdo kept calling Haglin daddy. Yeah.
0: The guy who looks uh, like Matt Hooper's effeminate cousin. Like. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, a
1: good call. Yeah. That's a good call.
0: Oh. Uh, so Frank visits the hospital where Mike is now a fellow patient And is told that Nola is now the only patient at Soma Free. Mike wants to be, like, he wants to help. He wants to kind of throw Raglan under the bus now. But only, God damn, it disturbs me just to say this. Only if Frank becomes his daddy. (laughs) Oh, Oh, God. And Frank's Uh, like, uh, 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 Again,
1: Frank, how do you not just punch this guy in the face and be like, I got to get the fuck out of here.
0: How does Frank not have a breakdown? I mean, this is his life right now. He's having a crazy guy say like, "I'll help you, but you have to be my daddy." <laughs> yeah. What? what?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the Gimp in Pulp Fiction, man. Like, just like, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, get away from me.
0: And Frank's is like, I don't have time for this, and takes uh, he he takes his daughter to school, and uh, Ruth Mayer's art class. Two children in creature in a. Uh, Coats show up. They wander throughout the classroom. They act like kids until it's time. They pick up some wooden hammers and they beat Ruth to death in this classroom in front of all these kids. And one kid runs out and is like, "Help, the teacher's getting killed. Help us. Thank God for that kid because yeah. uh, no,
1: none of the other kids did shit. They all stood there and watched, which I know that didn't happen. It was a movie, but that's got to be traumatizing for those children to watch that even be filmed.
0: Yeah. Right? I'm sure they had to make up like it's a game or some shit.
1: Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean like she is screaming on the floor and there's these two things in coats just ah that yeah like what uh there's blood everywhere fake blood. Yeah, I don't know. That that had to be pretty pretty crazy.
0: Well in the movie that one kid who does go to get help, like good on that kid, but I don't blame any of the other kids for not doing that. I mean at six no, no,
1: I'm I'm being a d I'm being a complete dickhead, yeah. <laughs>
0: At five or six years old, like, you know, what do somebody you do murdered yeah. in front of me? I wouldn't have the emotional maturity to go handle that.
1: And, and this is a, also a pretty cl- crazy classroom. You have to go up stairs to get out of the classroom. So the kid runs up that flight of stairs out the door and outside where it's fucking cold as shit outside. And he's like, help, help. The bad kids got her. You're like, what does that mean? You know, and Frank's like, oh, Jesus H Christ. <laughs> Girl, I get
0: forty-five minutes. (laughs) Once again, Frank's gotta save the day. And he just runs in like, fucking hell. And (laughs) Ruth's dead, Candy's gone. And uh, at the Institute, Raglan wakes up Nola. She says she had a dream that Candy was coming back to her, and she doesn't feel threatened by Ruth Mayer anymore. That weight has been lifted off. Convenient. And around this time we see those two creatures holding Candy by each hand, walking through the snow on a highway.
1: Yeah, my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah, unbelievable.
0: The implications of that scene are like, what are they going to do to this kid? Are they going to eat this kid? That's what I thought.
1: I also, if I drove past that, I'm not driving by. I'm like, hey, what are you three tiny children doing in the road? What what are you all doing? Like, But then I would see and I'd be like, ah, oh, never mind. You know, I'm going to carry on. <laughs> that would be so frightening to stop and see these two, like, yeah, these two just demon-like stuffed animal child children. Like, that would just I, – I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do.
0: I, I'm like, how does Frank not own a gun at this point?
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm I'm not, like, personally in my own life, I'm not really – like, guns, I don't really go – I don't really like to have conversations about them because they're so – people have such different opinions on them. But Frank should have a gun.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> That evening, Mike shows up on Frank's doorstep and is like, Daddy, the disturbed kids in the work shed, they're the ones you need to worry about. Your wife is taking care of them. And Frank's like, I'm not your daddy, but I'm going to go handle that. <laughs> he drives to the Institute where he runs up on Raglan, who pulls a gun on him and says, "Like, Look, I have a gun on you. Just don't try anything. And, and Frank's like, dude, you got demon cre- kids that have my daughter. What's go, you know, <laughs> what are we gonna do about that? And Raglan kind of is like, I don't know what to talk about, and I'm sorry, my daughter, like your daughter got involved, and I will help you save her. It's, it's weird. Ra- like at this, you know, up to here, you're thinking like, oh, Raglan's the problem, but in reality, no, Noah is just so goddamn powerful that she created monsters. <laughs> and uh, Raglan tells him that the creatures are true trueborn children, that. They are the brood, the children of Nola's rage. And over the past year and a half, her psychoplasmics have manifested into these children that carry out her bidding whenever she's angry. They killed her parents. They captured Candy. They killed the teacher. Anybody she's angry at. And Raglan tells Frank that Candy's locked in the attic where the brood are being kept. And if he wants Candy back, he's got to convince Nola that all is good and she can come back and live with them as a family. If he can do that, the brood will be neutral long enough so Raglan can save the kid. If not, the brood are going to kill him and Candy. Weird that Raglan's willing to make this sacrifice. Surprised he didn't say like, "This is your problem," and he fucks off. Yeah, but nope. Yeah, you would totally ex- uh,
1: expect him to like drive off in like a Porsche and be like, "All right, see ya." You know, yeah. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my collections and move on. But no, he he makes one of the most um, brave decisions of the movie.
0: Yes, indeed. Raglan. Waits outside the attic door with a broodar. Frank goes to Nola's room, sees Nola rocking back and forth in a white robe. She's in a trance. She's happy that he's uh come to be with her, and Frank's like, Honey, you got me you got it all wrong. You're the only woman for me. I, I love you. See? Like he's very much like, Are you buying this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't sound sincere once. <laughs> he's not very good at this. I can't blame him. Yeah. At this point, Nola throws back her white robe, revealing a fucking sack on her chest and uh, an umbilical cord. And uh, it's uh, it's like an incubator for the brood. And Frank's like, oh, boy, (laughs) what, Frank, what have you gotten yourself into, buddy? In the attic, Raglan quietly enters sleep. The brood are all asleep finds candy starts to carry her out and the brood stirs sensing Noah's anger in Noah's room and here's the part that fans horror fans everywhere will remember forever she rips open the sack removing a fetus that she then begins to lick clean Oy! <laughs> <laughs> hard to forget that image
1: <laughs> yeah oh my god an oscar nominated actress um Quickly maneuvering her tongue on a fetus is, yeah, one of the strangest things that could happen on a big screen. Yeah. Um, and, but but I, I, as weird as this is, like, you can't look away. You know, you're like, oh, it's one of, those, <laughs> one of those very strange phenomenons in horror movies where you're like, ah, I'm already here, so I guess I'll watch.
0: <laughs> yep. And Frank is immediately like, oh, my God. And she catches on like, oh, you're sickened by this? You think this is gross? Frank's like, I disgust you? Yeah, you do, girl. (laughs) In the attic, the brood jump Raglan. He shoots a few of them, tells Candy to run. And they just grab him and they beat Raglan to death. Candy gets in a room, uh, locks the door and is hiding. The brood are coming through the wall. And Frank realizes that Nola is willing to let Candy die before not being in her life. And Frank's like, fuck that. I'm you're done. And strangles Noah to death to save his daughter and destroy the brood. It's great. <laughs> I was actually very satisfying to watch that bitch die. <laughs> yes, Frank. Yes. Frank goes upstairs to the attic to find the brooder dead. Candy is locked in a room traumatized for fucking ever. And uh, Raglan's dead. <laughs> and he picks up candy, takes her home. And as they're driving home, Frank does not notice the two raised lump on lumps on Can, on Candy's arm. her psychoplasmics welling up. The welts are apparently hereditary, and her rage will manifest in the future. Fucking crazy movie, man.
1: <laughs> horrific, horrific movie with a unforgiving ending.
0: And here's some filmgasm facts for you. There's only two. There's not a lot of trivia on this movie. No,
1: no, there's, there, it's not the easiest movie to find stuff about, yeah.
0: Number one, Oliver Reed was arrested by the Canadian police during the production of this film after he made a bet with someone that he could walk from one bar to another without wearing clothes in freezing cold weather. Yeah,
1: <laughs> all right, Oliver, my man.
0: Number two, Samantha Egger came up with the idea to lick the blood off the newborn. <laughs>
1: there you go,
0: yeah. And the fetuses attached to her body were actually stuffed condoms.
1: <laughs> oh, Okay. Yeah, I see that now.
0: That's all we got for Film Guys and Facts. As we said, trivia is a little sparse on this one. Uh, not a lot of trivia, which is weird because you think with a movie this bizarre, there'd be a lot more stories. But, uh, I don't know, it happens. I give this one an 8. It's a solid, freaky horror flick that has stood the test of time and legitimately freaked me out.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I feel similarly, uh, except I think I like it just like a little more, hair more, and I give it a 9. I think it's... Again, I think it's one of the scariest movies we have covered on the podcast, yeah. um, and it, it – yeah, I, like you said, it stands the test of time, and, you know, a horror movie that's now over 40 years old. just a very, very impressive piece of filmmaking, um, and has – yeah, it just got me more excited about Cronenberg.
0: That's true. That is certainly true. It's definitely reinvigorated a, uh, a quest to find yes. more of his stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and really, really, I think at this point uh, we both feel similarly like we want to see everything. We should probably do just a Weird Shit Wednesday at some point where we just tackle his infil- his uh, filmography as far as directing goes.
0: Couldn't hurt. I'm sure that dude has a story behind him. I mean, there's got to be something that explains all this freaky shit. For sure. <laughs> so what are we doing for Friday? Friday. Speaking of Cronenberg.
1: Um, you know, we want to stay in that vein. Um, and I also think we want to give something that's... Uh, uh, give give an opportunity to our listeners to watch with us right yeah. um so dead ringers also directed by david Cronenberg, is what we're going to do on friday and that is on prime through stars i believe right now um, yes yes through stars yeah and it's uh yeah i i actually haven't watched it yet i'm watching it tomorrow night uh i'm excited i've heard from you that it's a very off the wall movie uh because you you just watched it recently so i'm excited to dive into it um but it's It's not it's not in that upper echelon of his, you know, big horror masterpieces. So we're trying to trying to branch out.
0: Also, admittedly, it is tough to find Cronenberg stuff on streaming. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Again,
1: yeah, we want to, especially during this time, during uh, while some people are still quarantining or just getting back to work or, you know, finding their groove again. uh, We want to make it easy for people to follow along with the show uh, while we're especially while you and I are doing via Skype. Uh, It it makes it easier if people have an option to watch watch the film.
0: And it's easier for us to just have, you know, immediate hands on access to this stuff as exactly. opposed to logistically coming up with some way to borrow DVDs at this time, which is just isn't feasible. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Dead Ringers, uh, weird movie, uh, not would not have been my first choice for a, a bonus on The Brood, but, you know, Desperate Times and all that. Admittedly, I think it's going to make a very strange episode of the show.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. No. I, uh, yeah, uh, it's a completely different turn than we're used to taking. So, yeah, I'm excited.
0: I think it's probably the the best performance Jeremy Irons has ever given.
1: Jesus Christ. Okay. It's
0: unbelievable. He is incredible in this movie.
1: All right. Well, that that's enough for me to get excited about it.
0: <laughs> All right. Now let's take a look at what happened this week in film. Uh, first up, Kurt Wimmer, director of the 2000 action thriller Equilibrium, is helming a Children of the Corn remake in Australia and has actually managed to keep production going during the pandemic. So get ready for that. We're getting another Children of the Corn. <laughs> I don't think we need it. I w- I'm not that big a fan of Children of the Corn. Me neither.
1: It's not It's not my favorite, no. Nah.
0: And they've made like 12. I don't get why they keep going back to this one. Yeah,
1: Yeah. pick something else to redo. <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of Stephen King... Director Mike Flanagan, Helmer of Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep, has announced that he will be adapting the recent King novel Revival for the big screen. Oh, I couldn't be more excited. Revival is the only book I've ever read that scared the absolute shit out of me.
1: That's so exciting. That is awesome news. That is, uh, have you read that one, Revival? No, no, but I, I will now that I know that yeah. there's going to be something adapted so quickly.
0: Yeah. Of his recent work, Revival is probably my favorite. That was such a brilliant story. And the ending is so out of fucking left field. But and, like the whole book is going in one direction. And then when you realize what's really happening, your mind is fucking blown. And it's so scary. I was seeing shadows around my room. I was like, I got to put this shit down. It was horrifying, dude. Heck, it's going to make such a great movie. Awesome. Awesome. And Mike Flanagan's the perfect guy. I was really hoping he was going to pick like this one. So yeah. I'm super psyched for this. That's so cool. <laughs> Uh, the trailer for the Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson dramedy, the King of Staten Island was dropped. Uh, it looks fantastic. Very entertaining yet thought provoking, except for release on demand on June 12th. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be good. Uh, King of Staten Island. Yeah, I'll definitely be checking that out. I think it'd be a really cool bonus for us to do. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I will watch Bill Burr play a stepdad any day of the week. <laughs> Me
1: too. Me too. I'll watch Bill Burr do anything, man. <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of on-demand, Tom Hardy's crime drama biopic Capone was released on-demand on Tuesday to admittedly mixed reviews. Some say it's his best performance. Others say the film is confusing and lacks direction. It's currently sitting at an IMDb score of 6.3. And last I saw on Tomatoes, I believe it was 43%. So Damn. we'll see. Yeah, not too great. <laughs>
1: yeah, but we'll we'll check it out at some point. Yeah.
0: It's $10 to rent it on Prime. $14.99 to buy it. Okay. Okay. Uh, seems a bit steep for a rental, but it is a new movie. So. Yeah. Isn't
1: that Isn't that frustrating? Uh, yeah, you're you're having to pay more than you would in a fucking theater for some of these movies. Yeah. Pretty frustrating.
0: Mm hmm. At least if you pay at a theater, you get you know big screen, good surround sound. You get a popcorn. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what you're paying for. Yeah, is that yeah. um that awesome experience at home? We you already have everyone has their subscriptions for Netflix. Hulu, Prime, whatever it may be. So I don't want to pay fucking $10 to see a movie,
0: (laughs) you know? Like, goddamn. That movie Scoob, the Scooby-Doo reboot, that's coming out on demand next week. Probably going to be the same price. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, they did the, you know, they
1: did the the films that obviously were in theaters and then got, you know, got their life cut short, uh, obviously onward, because Disney has unlimited resources and money. They were cool about it and just put on Disney+. But then you got The Way Back, which I really wanted to see, is fucking twenty dollars. Like, no, I'm not paying twenty dollars to see a movie that just came out in theaters that I could have seen for ten or twelve bucks. Yeah, I just I don't see the logic.
0: Nah, man, doesn't make sense.
1: So yeah, right. I, 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 again, more of a reason to to use these uh, FilmGasm episodes uh, for movies that are on streaming services already.
0: Exactly. Exactly. When the theaters open back up, we'll be able to do these Sunday episodes again. Yes. But right now, I just I'm not going to pay that kind of money for a Capone, a movie that admittedly I'm probably not going to like. Well,
1: oh, yeah. And, and, like, yeah, if it was, uh, you know, admittedly, uh, you know, if it was like some director I'm obsessed with and I'll, you know, I'll shell out money. But those reviews are not good. They're not saying great things. It's completely mixed. So
0: I'm not convinced to spend the ten dollars. Yeah, I'll wait till it's on Prime for free or Hulu buys it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the DVD release. I'll just get it through Netflix. There you go. I'm in no hurry. Uh, Finally, this was very sad. Longtime comedian Jerry Stiller has died at age 92 from natural causes. Jerry Stiller was the father of comedian Ben Stiller, best known for his role as Frank Costanza on the long-running sitcom Seinfeld. He was absolutely hilarious, and in his name, Filmgasm will be donating $500 to the Human Fund we encourage you to do the same. It's what he would want. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Frank. Oh my God, one of the funniest yeah. parts of that show without a doubt <laughs> and 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 uh
1: my fair part of King of Queens.
0: <laughs> I didn't watch King of Queens. I've never been a Kevin James fan,
1: uh neither have I, but he's great in it, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I loved him as a maury ballstein and zoolander
1: yes oh genius role yeah um yeah those are that's uh that's a guy that was a staple from the generation right before us a staple of the 80s and 90s especially from seinfeld and it's um it's just sad to see someone that's represented so much so much hilarious content on that show so many episodes so many moments that um (laughs) affect so many people from so many different ages yeah rest in peace man that way he's a
0: legend Dude, Festivus alone gets that guy into the Comedy Hall of Fame. Yes.
1: <laughs> Serenity now! Yeah, just,
0: yeah. He's I guy. got a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear about them. <laughs> oh, God. Serenity now. Yeah. Rest in peace, Jerry Stiller.
1: Two cups in the front, two loops in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, him, him and George—that that is my favorite part of the show—is their relationship.
0: <laughs> it, God. I I love like every time there would be some new shit. Jerry would be like, be like, and another piece of the mystery revealed. Like just trying to unravel <laughs> George. <laughs> it all makes yeah. perfect fucking sense when you meet his dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and you
1: love that that you know you 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 get older and you understand you know who Larry David is and what he's all about and then that George is kind of based on him and you're like oh this is just yeah it's just wonderful
0: wonderful stuff <laughs> when you take everything i've done in my life compress it down into one day it looks decent <laughs> 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 oh well that's all for today folks hope you enjoyed our breakdown of the brood get another dose of cronenberg on friday with dead ringers next week we're taking on another horror icon a film that changed the game yet again and told horror fans everywhere that Wes Craven was back and better than ever. Next week, we're diving into the 1996 horror classic Scream. Woo! Depending on how things work out, we may have a special guest joining us via Skype for that episode. Stay tuned to find out. In the meantime, keep an eye on your significant other. If she starts lashing out at you and birthing numerous rage demons, it might be time to break it off. Mm.